Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine Weinbrenner-Eirich, and this is The Soul of Travel. Nora Livingstone is an animal ethics expert and CEO of Animal Experience International, an award-winning B Corp. Her work has taken her to over 45 countries, including Oman, Sierra Leone, Guatemala, and Mongolia. Nora is a qualified crisis counselor and holds FEMA certifications in leadership and deployment during national disasters. Nora is also actively involved in the rise of benefits corporations She's a Nature Canada Women for Nature and founding board member of the Julia Coey Memorial Foundation, as well as a member of the Women's Advisory Council of Journey Women. Nora is also host of Fanimal's Animal Chat Time. In our conversation, Nora and I talk about the ethics of volunteer travel, consent-based tourism and what that means to her, having a values-aligned business, and her commitment to addressing social issues and how we can understand white privilege narratives that exist in companies like ours that are run by white women. This was an honest, vulnerable, and thought-provoking conversation that I deeply enjoyed having and hope you enjoy listening to. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Nora Livingstone. Welcome to Soul of Travel. I am really excited today to be sitting down with Nora Livingstone, who is the co-founder and CEO of Animal Experience International. Um, I had the privilege of hearing her speak in a bee tourism group meeting and was immediately drawn to her passion and dedication. And she has so much to offer, I think, this listening community. So um, I'm excited to dive into this conversation. Welcome, Nora. Oh, thank you so much, Christine. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you. Um, And so for those of you listening, Animal Experience International is a certified B Corp that was founded in 2012. And from the gist I get, you match clients who want to gain animal-related volunteer experience to the right experience um, and really focus on the ethics of volunteer travel and how we can create these experiences in the most responsible way. So 
Um, I'm so excited to just hear more about what that looks like in action. Um, as we begin, Nora, I would love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are in the space of travel right now. Yeah, so in the space of travel right now, I am someone who is trying to get people to think more well. Um, I have always loved animals. I have always loved travel. The joke that I tell people all the time, and I will never get sick of it, is um, tell me how old you are without saying how old you are. And I grew up in West Germany. And so um, I have always had itchy feet. I've always wanted to help other people travel because I just see the the immense difference it had in my life and my perspective. And so running AEI was a dream I never thought I would have. And I love it because having uh, being the CEO of AEI means that I can make sure all of our programs are safe, are ethical, are authentically beneficial. We became a B Corp for that reason. The last two years has been hard, but I have always been hopeful and always delighted that when we get back to travel, when we get back to um, our center, we're able to think about travel without the asterisks beside it, without going, this felt good at the time, but maybe not really. Yeah, that's such a, a powerful statement to add. I feel like so many of us have kind of been examining those parts of our businesses and parts of the industry and really trying to strengthen what we're offering. And I feel like also a lot of people have really reconnected to the values and the the passions that they had when they started their businesses that sometimes got a little bit lost in the process of actually running a business and meeting client demands and maybe starting to uh, lean more towards what they were seeing trends were or what clients needed. And maybe some of those uh, real important values had gotten lost or were just not as prevalent in their business model. And I think anybody who was experiencing that on a small scale really like was like, no, I, this is why I started my business. I'm recommitting. I'm really dedicated to that. And for those businesses that were already values driven, it was just really the time to like even become more big and bold in how we were presenting that. So I have loved witnessing that. That's been something that's always been things that I have been drawn to naturally, um, but I'm really loving to see it being shared in more and more spaces. I would love to first, before we get into um, AEI, I would love to understand a little bit more about who you are and how travel found you and really what led you to, you know, understanding this need and and then beginning to to shape this business. Yeah. So I think, you know, I was so lucky to travel my whole life. My dad was a career soldier in the Canadian military. And so um, we lived in Europe. My family really took advantage of the fact that we were in Europe and bought uh, VW Westphalia and we drove around seeing a whole bunch of different countries. When we moved to Canada, we bought another Westphalia uh, and painted a blue called a Blue Thunder, went up the Alaska Highway, down through Alaska, across Canada, uh, down through Montana, sorry. And I just really like knew my whole life that travel was valuable to me. Because um, I, I have a brother, uh, but there's we are only four. And so I just knew from a young age that like my perspective would be only four of us. We were really close, a small family. And so seeing all these different places, hearing different languages, seeing what 
people look like, what they eat and wear always fascinated me and always made me just think um, very wonderfully that I'm never alone. There's so many other people out there that have really interesting ideas. And then also, um, I'm never alone because if I'm thinking of something, there must be someone else on the planet who thinks the same way. I can't be the only person that likes narwhals. There's a whole community of us. So when I was in university, it was when Hurricane Katrina happened. And uh, I was very lucky enough to the internet was new at the time and found out about a group called Best Friends Animal Society. And they said, if you come down to help do animal rescue, feeding, grooming, husbandry, um, you can stay for free. You're like staying on a cot in um, uh, in an old arcade, but uh, we'll feed you and we'll figure it out. And that was sort of my first step into kind of international volunteering and, and really being of like service rather than saying, I want to come down here and I want to wrangle dogs and look like a hero. Like, what do these people really need? And then what do the dogs and cats really need? And they need people to, like, clean out their ears and make their food and things like that. The animals, not the people. (laughs) It's an important distinction. Um, (laughs) And then um, after university, I so I went to school for environmental studies and anthropology and uh, I was the first person in my family to graduate uh, university, and uh, my family kept on asking what I would do with it. And I was like, I, that's for future Nora to figure out. I have no idea. I, again, was lucky enough to be able to travel, and I knew I wanted to volunteer when I traveled because I just felt like it was such a privilege to go somewhere I wanted to give back. And um, so I went through... Nepal and Thailand, um, Korea, China, and Hong Kong. And it was in that traveling that I volunteered with some people groups and I volunteered with some animal groups. And I ended up feeling not very good about volunteering with people. I was a brand new graduate from university. I didn't have the skills to really help people in in a real way. And um, and I didn't have the skills to protect my heart and, and everything in a real way. Um, and so working with animals, knowing I wasn't a vet, I wasn't doing any high level medicine. I was there just to clean up elephant poo, just to, again, clean the ears of dogs. It always comes back to that. And so I came back to Canada still not knowing what I was going to do. And I started, um, I was a volunteer coordinator at a wildlife center. And that's actually where I met my business partner. I was there for a couple years. And after I left, she asked me, hey, have you ever thought of running like a charity or a business? Because I was already, you know, telling all my friends, travel is the best. It's so important. Ethics are so important. When you travel, make good choices not only for the people and animals you're working with, but also for your heart. You don't want to come back and go, ugh, that was gross. And then also for tourism in general, like we just don't want more people that look like me. I'm a a white Scottish descent Canadian. We don't need more people like that going around the world saying, I know how to help everyone. So, So yeah, Heather said, you always talk about ethics of volunteering. What if we did it for animals? She's a veterinarian. She has a lot of vet um, students that ask her about international placements. And uh, the other joke I make all the time is my famous last words were a business. How hard can it be? Um, (laughs) That was 2011. 
And um, yeah, we started with the programs that I had volunteered on before. I went to Guatemala uh, a couple years prior and Nepal called them and said, if you remember me, I have this kind of big idea. Uh, do you want to be partners? And um, yeah, the rest is um, is history and sometimes hard history. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many good things in there. I love the a business. How hard could it be? Because I feel like I mean, people really encourage entrepreneurship and people that are really passionate and purpose driven. It really makes sense for that. And so you just like charge ahead and then you're just like standing there by yourself being like, what did I just do? Um, it can be like such uh, a painful but valuable path. And especially, and we'll talk into this later when you become committed to something like becoming B Corp certified, which is a huge process. Um, which I think it feels like most people go into a little bit blindly and maybe thank goodness, because if they knew at the end, they wouldn't start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more education and support around that now, I think, but it's definitely, um, and I, I haven't done it. I just, I have such a new business. I have tried to create my brand knowing that that's my end goal, which is also really helpful. Like I, I'm not hopefully going to have to go back and change too many things. Like I can start to implement that as I begin. But, and then the other thing about, um, you know, we've already mentioned a couple of times, but really focusing on ethics. And I think when I started in the industry um, just a little over 20 years ago, this was um, something that was really subtle in a business. You know, you might have your corporate social responsibility page on your website. If you had a website, even then, you know, it would be like, here's this, this side thing we do. Um, here's this thing we can talk about, like to just be really proud of this, this one part of our business. And I really love that you go onto your website and it is very clear from the beginning <laughs> immediately that that is a part of what you are offering people who are traveling with you. And I just, for me, again, get so excited that we're at a place where we don't have to like sneak our values into our businesses. We can really say like, this is actually why we're here and this is why we want to serve you. Um, so I would love to start to talk about that a little bit more. Um, you, I know you mentioned you were working with people as volunteers and then with animals and that you really felt you weren't able to serve the people that you were working with. And I know that a lot of people who volunteer and travel, walk away with that feeling at the end of the day that they think, you know, I, I really went into this wanting to create change. I wanted to be of service. We also wanted to do something for ourselves that feels good, right? That's a part of our motivation. And then you realize, you know, you're going to be there for a short amount of time. You start to think about what does that look like? over time, maybe, you know, if you're, you're volunteering somewhere and you come in and you barely figure it out and then it's time to leave or you form attachments and you leave and you start thinking about the people who have this intermittent support and who have this intermittent emotional connection that they have to like ebb and flow with. What was your response to that? Or what have you seen talking to other travelers coming to you looking for a more ethical volunteer experience? Yeah, yeah. I think those are all such good points, right? Like I think I think the reason that AEI exists is because the counter exists. And we, of course, want people to go on our trips. 
Um, but we put all the information in the forefront. So even if people don't go on their trips, they know that not all tourism is ethical and not everything is created equal. And so I think what we really try to explain to people is <laughs> all of us want to have these big, beautiful, monumental shifts in our lives. And they can happen if we are um, doing small things or big things, because it is mindset on our side. And things will feel better because they will be better and they'll be ethical if we are, if we're thinking about the ethics. All of AEI's programs work uh, directly with local leaders. And so it's never me as someone who has a environmental studies in Canada degree. I don't go to somewhere like Kenya and say, this is how you should plant trees. I don't go to Sierra Leone and say, this is how you help dogs. But what I do say is, I don't know anything. And please treat me like a five-year-old. There are real nuanced problems here. And how do we, those specific problems, how do we specifically target them and change them? And how do we have people that are not professionals do that? And oftentimes it is, so I, I have been, again, so lucky. I've been to a lot of countries. I've never been to a country that doesn't have people who love animals. And so already I tell all of our clients, everyone that shows up, you are not there to save the animals of a country. You are there to make sure the people who were volunteering or not volunteering, who are working before, during, and after your program have that support. And knowing that incremental change does not feel good. No one likes going to therapy and going like, ah, yes, this tiny thing changed. But it's through the tiny changes that these massive shifts happen. And, you know, you've been in tourism for 20 years. And so you can see that there very rarely is one thing that changes uh, travel for the better. It's over a number of years, there's been so many small things that we don't even realize a shift has happened. And it's really, um, to, to poorly quote Martin Luther King, it, it, junior to the, the mark, the arc of the moral universe is quite long and it does bend towards justice, but it is through those incremental changes. So uh, all of that is kind of vague and esoteric, but what it comes down to is when I talk to the volunteers, it is really making sure that they understand the value and the actual authentic benefit of the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. So does it feel huge and life-changing to cut up a mango to give to an orphaned howler monkey in Guatemala? Yes and no. Is it helping the whole species? Yes, because genetic diversity is important in howler monkeys. Is it helping that one howler monkey? Absolutely. You're changing its life. It gets to eat. And is it changing your life? Yes, it is. And you, you're changing your life forever because for the rest of your life, people ask you about howler monkeys for some reason. You have a shirt maybe that says, I work with howler monkeys. Ask me about it. And you get to say, I cut up a mango for a howler monkey. And this is why it was important to them, to me to the whole group. Uh, at the center, it meant there wasn't a veterinarian who was doing it. The veterinarian was making enrichment and enclosures and doing high-level medicine. I was making sure they could do their job. And for the rest of my life, I can feel good about that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to your point earlier, there are times that people volunteer on human projects that, um, and, and on animal 
programs as well, that they're not fully trained for the high level professional work they're doing. And they leave the program going, yeah, I got to do surgery. I got to do something big. But was it privilege and entitlement that got me there? And do I feel good about telling other people? It's that shift in tourism that we're looking at the entitlement of travelers. And we're saying, we have this great privilege to go and spend money in other countries and support great programs. So let's support those professionals while getting our hands dirty in something that like we we don't feel bad about and actually gen- genuinely is helping. It's not a busy, uh, it's not busy work. It's not a task just like so you can have an Instagram picture. Take the Instagram picture and tell me and tell your friends how ethical it is. And that will ripple out for other people to talk about ethics. Hey, it's Christine. Interrupting this episode for just a minute to invite you to join me for my Lotus Sojourns Women's Wilderness and Yoga Retreat in Alaska in March of 2023. We'll be traveling 63 miles north of the Arctic Circle to stay at Arctic Hive, owned by my friend Molly Busby and her husband Sean. This boutique property nestled in the Brooks Range is way off the beaten path and also off-grid. We'll stay in beautiful and cozy cabins built by hand by our hosts. Practice yoga in their yoga dome, lovingly referred to as the hive, with gorgeous views of surrounding nature. We'll explore the wilderness by snowshoe and dog sled, connect with members of the local community to learn about living in this remote environment, enjoy daily yoga practice and vegan meals, all while keeping our eye out for the beautiful northern lights that like to show off their magic this time of year. I only have six spaces for this unique adventure, and a few are already taken. I'd suggest pausing this episode and hopping over to the Lotus Sojourns website to book yours today. Please share this experience with anyone you know who would love this restorative adventure. Want to learn more? You can listen to my Soul of Travel conversation with Molly Busby, check out episode 67. Now let's hop back to our soulful conversation. So many good things. So many good things. Um, I love I'll start with the in first the Instagram photo and and the story and the context. I think that's so, so, so powerful. I feel like that is um, a conversation I've had a lot also over the last few years is, um, and partly because it's a super pain point for me, the, the Instagram world of travel, I don't understand. And um, like one of the one trip I took after not having traveled for a while with young kids at home and hadn't really been fully immersed in that culture in action, I thought I was going to die. Um, it was just so overwhelming for me, uh, that level of entitlement that I felt like I was witnessing, um, not honoring culture and place and the sacredness. I happened to be in Bali and really was on sacred land much of the time mm-hmm. witnessing this happening. And it just like tore at me in my soul. And so I, I love that you are speaking to your travelers about, okay, we would love for you to share this experience. And here's how this can also be a tool for education. Here's how we can provide context to our experience so others can understand what we're here for, what we're doing, the impact we're making. And it doesn't have to be done in a like, you know, a, in such a, a way that it, it feels 
like uh, dark or heavy or, you know, like uh, impossible. Like we really can share the possibility of these experiences. So I, I really love that. And also just creating um, mindset for travelers heading in. I think that's also so important. Um, I talk a lot about that with my travelers at Lotus Sojourns. Like before you even choose to travel with me, let's think about why you're traveling, what you want out of the experience, who you envision yourself being on the other side, which I would imagine would be really profound in terms of volunteer experience. Like we have an idea of who we think we're going to be on the other side of this trip. And like, can we talk about that in a way that maybe um, shifts that expectation to a more real version, or maybe we need to amplify that, or, you know, maybe it's, it's not about this kind of like heroistic idea. Maybe you really just want to be someone who was confident enough to travel to Guatemala, confident enough to interact with animals and community and like, if that's your intention, I can't even imagine. I'm so excited for that person on the other side of that journey. But like, if we unpack some of that before we travel during and after, that also really amplifies the value of an experience like that. How has that changed the trajectory of an experience for people when you really talk to them about about what they want out of an experience and what they're going to get. And do you have those kind of conversations? Yeah. So how it works at AEI is everyone applies and then everyone talks with me. So, (laughs) and it's brilliant as well, because when we sort of onboard our programs and create partnerships, I go to all the placements first to make sure that uh, it takes about two years of talking um, so that weeds out quite a few people that aren't in it for the sustainable long run. But then when I talk to all of our all our volunteers, I can say specifically, this is where you're going. This is who's picking up from the airport. This is the food you're eating, what you should pack. And this is the work you're doing. And so I think creating that mindset, creating those expectations and really like sometimes needing to like tear down some unrealistic expectation or a bias or a a privilege point that was uh, that was not seen before. And I love doing it because I, I so believe in the work that we're doing. And I so believe that if we go knowing the importance of the work, then we're gonna just have a much better time. If we go thinking that we are going to be these saviors that completely change uh, Costa Rica and how they interact with turtles, like we're going to have a bad time. But if we go with the idea that we are going to learn from these local leaders, we're going to understand this community more, we're staying with all of our homestays, our local women that love turtles. One of our homestays, we met her because we were in a boat uh, doing some turtle work and she thought we were poachers. And so she called the cops on us. And we're like, that is the dedication we want in a homestay mother, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you care about turtles. You care about people. You are going to call it in. And I love that. And so, like, these are the things that we talk about when we when we should be talking, we talk about tourism. If we're going to say in North America on Turtle Island that if we're going to recognize that we are on traditional lands of Indigenous people, if we are going to say that Black Lives Matter, and I think that we should, we should say that everywhere we go, no matter where we are, Black lives should always matter. And we are always on traditional lands of someone else. And so I think oftentimes what happened in tourism 
is people went away to to not leave their morals, but they wanted to just you know have a vacation and not have to think about things. Mm-hmm. The kind of the the good thing I think about AEI is if you want to have that vacation, like I do all the thinking for you. So you don't have to go through everything. I encourage people to think about ethics. But if you just want to, like, you're a B Corp, I see that you have, like, quantifiable benefit. Awesome. I just want to see a sea turtle. That's great. But if you want to have a little more depth, then you very easily can. And I think that is, that's so cool. And it means that, um, that no matter what, all the volunteers that I, I speak to in these interviews are going to be changing themselves, sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot, but also changing tourism. Because we are changing this market from people who just wanted to go away to people who are realizing, you know, all these ethics that I had at home very much can come with me. I don't have to have an experience to just check it off and feel weird about it later. I get to follow um, everywhere you go, there you are. And so I get to be fully present in all of my ethics and in all the things I believe in, no matter what country I'm in. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's also good too. I feel like my listeners are going to be like, okay, we get it, Christine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was just thinking through that that process, like I, I always talk about travel instead of being this this means to escape, but this I mean, this means to connect and to like be immersed. And I love that bringing your values with you, bringing who you are with you, because I actually think the traditional model of tourism hasn't allowed for that to happen. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about in in that same kind of vein is that as a young traveler, I would have all these experience. And I didn't have the language or the context to understand. I feel like we're in such an amazing time right now to be bringing all of this into conversations about travel that our experiences can become even more powerful. But I remember like traveling somewhere and, um, you know, wanting to take a picture and then feeling something inside of me that was questioning that picture. And I didn't know what that was. And I just thought, well, I'm just weird or I don't know. I, I didn't know how to unpack that. And then being somewhere and maybe being invited to see like a sacred ceremony and thinking, again, just having that, that feeling and that questioning. And I didn't, I didn't have words for it, but now we're, we're learning about privilege and we're learning about, you know, colonialism. We're learning about situations that are extractive. We're learning about all of these ways that we have been engaging with the world without the, the language for, and we can also apply this to travel. And I think, um, this just opens up the magic for me because I have a sociology degree. I'm obviously like really driven by ethics and morals and values. And so I'm just like, wow, this is like candy for me to think about like being able to explore this with travelers. So when you are looking at this, I mean, you mentioned your dedication to Black Black Lives Matter and how you bring that into the travel experience. You talk about your values with B Corp. what does that mean for your brand? And what do you think that creates for your travelers in terms of maybe even conversations um, that you're having and and how you feel like that in itself is adding value to the travel experience? Yeah, I think 
Um, you know, exactly like baby Christine and baby Nora, we traveled somewhere and we just didn't have the language. And then we didn't have a safe space to land to ask about it. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I hope that is what, you know, some of this um, could be considered virtue signaling. And I'm okay with it. I want people to see the virtue of AEI. I have, uh, I wear a rainbow bracelet every day. So people know I'm an ally. Um, very plainly on our website, it says Black Lives Matter. And we will keep that up forever because they will always matter. And we have a landage acknowledgement on our website as well to say like, this is a safe space for not only people that that look like me, but also don't look like me, but to ask those questions. And we have, we have so much word, so many words on our website for those conversations. So people aren't, um, if people want, they can read about it in like, uh, the, the cover of darkness because they don't want to ask questions and look silly. Um, but I think that our website is, has so much information that people know that we're a safe space that we can say, like, we, we, we believe this fully in, in all of our being that we made it into a company that I, me and Heather, every single piece, every single word on our website, we wrote together, every single contract, every, um, rule we have for AEI, we got to make. And so it gets to be exactly what we want it to be. And that space that gets to change as well. Black Lives Matter, the movement didn't exist the way that it does now in 2012 when we started. And so when the, um, you know, the Me Too movement land back Black Lives Matter, when the civil rights movements started um, to be really on the forefront, it was so exciting because it was stuff that we had been talking about for a long time. And it was stuff that we wanted to not just be in business, but then to be in leisure. And how exciting that it's not just a land acknowledgement that exists somewhere because we have to do it as a business. We don't have to, but some, some businesses will say they do. But it makes people think in when they are at their jobs and they're professional people, when they're at home and they're relaxing, when they're on vacations and they're having leisure, we're always thinking about our privilege. We're always thinking about how how deeply lucky we are to be here and the responsibility we then have. And I love having these conversations because it is Generation Z that is doing so much teaching and like pushing so much of this forward and saying, um, you know, millennials, you did a great job. Thank you. But, you know, we have this a little bit more. And so I love that in travel, it is such a diverse, um, age group that we have so many people saying, like, this is how it was. We always kind of felt icky about this. This is how it was. We didn't know that we felt icky. And then there's people saying there is a better way and that better way can be right now. It is very simple to, um, to, uh, to have those signals, to have those conversations. And those conversations, I think, is how tourism does move forward and does get out of this black hole that was the shameful history of white, white privilege, white supremacy, othering, things like that. It's, um, I think it, it, it will always have that history, but it doesn't have to have that present or future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that the thing that is so amazing about this is like you said, there's so much space for conversation and exploration and discussion. 
Um, I think the other thing that's so important is creating a space where it's okay to not already know what you're talking about before you start talking about it, which I think has been really <laughs> tricky, especially the last couple of years. I feel like, um, like you said, as these movements really started to come to the forefront, there also became a lot of people who have been experts talking about this for a long time. There have been people who have, whose identities are really wrapped up in these experiences in a way that that we can't all fully understand one another. And the the conversations sometimes start to feel really big and important and impossible. And so like trying to break that down so that we feel like we can be a part of it, that we can um, make a mistake as we're trying to navigate and understand. I know for myself, like I had a huge freeze about some of these things that like before I felt like I could talk about it because I felt like nobody really had an answer and not that there's clear answers now, but it, it, it started to feel like there was more more ways to do it right than to just like be in it and be confused. And so I just was like, oh, and let's now I'm stopping to talk about these things. And then that felt really bad for me because this has been a place of curiosity and advocacy that has been a part of who I am since I was, I mean, very young. I just, I, I grew up um, on an Indian reservation in Montana and I was just like keenly aware of conversations that were happening around me differences and similarities. And I kept really trying to figure it out. Like I could just, I can still imagine my like little brain just like being like, I feel like maybe we should be acknowledging this or talking about this. Or did you notice how, you know, this exists this way and this exists this way? Like, again, this is just this kind of like sociological part of my brain that went around the world, like looking at it, like a special TV channel that I didn't really understand. So I think it's really, I love so much, like you said, that your website can kind of be this reading in the dark, starting to understand, and then we can engage in conversation um, and really grow through the experience. And then you start traveling and then you witness something new, and then you've created a space for this conversation. I would like to talk about, I know this is something kind of, again, as an extension of this conversation. Um, you and I both run businesses that are values driven. Um, we are really creating a space for conversation and connection. And I have had the conversation um, with you briefly with other colleagues when we look at white privilege narrative that exists and being a white woman running a company that wants to create change. So it seems like all of a sudden, and, and not all of a sudden, but my awareness all of a sudden is should I be doing this? Should I be giving this to someone else to do? Am I allowed to stand up in certain spaces and have certain conversations? Is just the element of being who I am causing a problem or creating a trigger or, you know, there's just new awarenesses around what it means to be a white woman who is working in social impact and, and that conversations that we're starting to have. So how has that shown up for you? What have you talked through? And do you have any advice for other women who maybe are really passionate about this? How do we start to unpack this in our in our own conversations and in our minds? Oh, I think my my very first bit of advice is perfection is a lie by white supremacy and the patriarchy to get us to not even try. If you're not going to be perfect, don't try. 
And the power, it is so powerful to apologize and say, I didn't know. I didn't know because I plainly didn't or because I'm privileged and I didn't have to know. And we're seeing this right now in Canada with um, the 215 in Kamloops, the children who were with massive air quotes found um, at the residential schools here. Um, and it has been for the last year, we've been finding more children. And I say massive air quotes because no mother has ever forgot she's had a child. These childs were these children were forcibly taken away and they didn't come home. And we as a nation knew, but we didn't talk about it. And then we had a truth and reconciliation time. We had this impact. We talked about it, but we didn't really talk about it. And so last Canada Day was actually very heartening. It's on July 1st. We like fire flag. We, we do all these things. And it was kind of explained throughout Canada. You wouldn't have a barbecue if your neighbors were grieving the loss of their child. And sorry, it's a bit emotional. Um, and I guess I shouldn't say sorry, it should be. But I think this is at home, but this has happened all over the world because of white supremacy, because of patriarchy. And tourism is you being, you sometimes inviting yourself into another community and sometimes being welcomed and sometimes being welcomed under coercion. And it is for us to apologize for when it was under coercion and for us to say, am I actually being invited? And am I doing, am I doing what I would want someone to do for me? So I'm going into this community and I am volunteering with dogs and I am taking away a veterinarian's professional job to pretend I'm a vet and then I'm leaving in two weeks. Is that what you would want someone to do in your community? Obviously not. And that is what happened a lot in in volunteer tourism. And so I think that there, you know, there there needs to be and there should be a space that we apologize for the roots and we wait until that apology is accepted. And and I don't think that means we you know, we we don't live our dreams. We don't um, start these businesses. We don't work in tourism. It is we wait for that community to accept our apology. And we go to another community and say, well, how does this work here? And this also works with our clients. We, if we are looking on Instagram and all and we're um, we're flipping through, I'm so old, I, scrolling is the word that the kids use, and I should too. Um, if we're scrolling and all of the faces we see are white, like that's, you know, it's, it's low hanging fruit, but it is important fruit to pick. We must look at different travelers. We must follow educators and we must listen. We must read the books of people that say, this is how white supremacy shows up. We as white people have all this privilege and that means we need to apologize for all the ways that we took advantage of it. But it also means we have a responsibility to, to share our privilege. And, and that is what I, I think that is what AEI is doing with our partners. When we say 
we only work with local leaders, it means I have the the privilege to have a website in Canada and under well, I wouldn't say that I understand SEO, but um, to understand SEO and get people on trips. And it is, it is my privilege to do a job that I love, but it is my responsibility to make sure that the people I work with on the ground are getting ethically paid, have a voice, can say, no, we don't want volunteers right now. Yes, we do want volunteers. And this is the work we want them to do. I think everyday activism is just listening and often apologizing and then listening again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like my heart just wants to catch up for a minute. So I'm like processing. I can't even think the next question, but um, yeah, I, th- I just think that's so amazing. And, and I really think, like you said, the asking and listening and apologizing and the conversation, like it, it really all just comes back to that, that I think for so long, it was so one-sided and there we, we didn't recognize or weren't aware of or weren't in conversation with the impact that we were having from a cultural and environmental standpoint. And, um, and now we, we know this and now that conversation is so important. And, and I really remember, I don't know how long ago it was, but when I first heard about community-based tourism and when people I was learning from were saying it starts with asking the community how they want to engage with outsiders and, and what how they want tourism to benefit their community and how tourism doesn't benefit their community. And I just was like mind blown. I'm like, well, of course, <laughs> like you also wouldn't go to your friend's house without asking, like, can I stop by and pick something up? Um, uh, my child is sick. Do you still want me to come? Like, just having the basic courtesies and respects as a guest. And this is also something I have also really always thought of myself is as a guest somewhere. And I probably have been more hesitant to engage than maybe even I needed to be. But I was so conscious of the fact that it was a privilege for me to be in many of the places that I've been in and to really witness the impact that I was having. I remember being hiking somewhere like days into the mountains in Thailand and walking into this village. And it was a village we weren't necessarily meant to be in, but the trip had gotten rerouted because of a social issue that had happened on the trip before mine. And the government was like bringing travelers to different areas. So one, they were very excited because they hadn't seen travelers for a while, but then they also came up with these like garbage bags full of like Cheetos and Doritos and, and stuff. And I was just like, I just remember in that moment, this, this, like this wrong thing was going off. And again, I was like, I don't know what's the wrongness, but like, I know I should be asking a question. And, you know, I don't know if the question was, should we be coming here more often? Do you need us here? Have we altered, you know, how you think you need to interact with us because of someone else's needs? And like, I actually desperately don't want Doritos. I would love to know like, what's a local snack? And, you know, all these things were happening in my mind. And I just, again, like think that, like you said, the the conversation, the connection, the, the inquisitiveness, it's like all these things that actually become the magic of travel are really important parts of travel that when we start asking those questions and, and maybe we're scared to ask those questions because it's going to reveal that we've done something wrong. Uh, we're going to learn that we've had an impact that we wish we didn't have. But at the same time, like it creates that connection and the, the space for progress. Um, and I just think that 
being able to travel since I've started to have more language for what I've experienced in the past and more language for what I want in the future, it's opened so many more doors for connection and purpose and value. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we made up a term called consent-based tourism. And um, it is really, it is just that. We don't always have language. We don't really understand. But uh, thankfully, we're all learning um, more and more about consent. And we're all um, understanding consent more and more. And so it, um, it came through the pandemic. I was, I was giving a lot of talks to universities and colleges. And one day I kind of just said like, oh, you know, like consent. And I was like, wait. And it was that thing that just like, oh, it's so easy. Of course, consent should be a pillar of everything we do. But we had just never talked about it in that way. And consent is sort of thought in, in this other way. But you know, when I hear you speak, I just think even more about this thing I invented. But when we so when we talk about uh, consent based tourism, it's sort of like a triangle, there's three actors. And the first I say is like the local community, are they? Is it a full body? Yes? Do they actually want you there? During the pandemic, there were a number of countries that were saying uh, tourists could come and they wanted tourists to come. And then I would call our local communities and our partners and say, do you want tourists? And they would say, no, we cannot keep people safe. Please do not. We need tourism, but we cannot have it right now. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'll listen. And then because we work with animals, the other side of the triangle is the the animals. And this is something that I in part try to impart to everyone that I talk to is the experience, the interaction that you're having with the animal. You can tell it's consensual because they can leave. They're not in a cage. They're not on a tether. They're not on a, um, a leash. If they're a domestic animal, it's a little bit different. Um, but for wildlife, if you are walking down the beach and someone has parrots in a cage and you get to like touch it or take a picture of it, is that a consensual interaction? Of course it's not. If a parrot is on a tree and you are talking to it and it, you know, kind of squawks back and you take a picture, that's consensual. It can leave at any time. And so it's a really easy way. Again, if you're not traveling with AEI, you're just traveling, you're not sure if something like looks really good with animals, you know, if it is, if it has chains, not consensual, it's going to make you feel gross later. And then the, the third corner is yourself. You know, you keep on saying you had this feeling and you weren't sure. And like, that's yourself. That is your truest self, not consenting to the experience. And saying, I don't know what it is. I don't have the language. I haven't spent 10 or 20 years thinking about the ethics of society and philosophy. So I don't have the language, but my heart knows that I shouldn't be here. And later, I should ask questions. Because if I ask a question now, maybe I'll feel bad. But I will feel bad no matter what. The truth will come out. And if I ask it now, maybe there can be a remedy now. Maybe something can happen that um, that there can be reconciliation. Down the road, I may not ever go to that country, see those people, have those individual humans with me again. And so it is about in all your interactions in life, all of them should be consensual. And when you're traveling, it doesn't mean you're on a tour bus, someone else is driving, every single interaction can also be consensual. And um, 
Uh, and it can seem really weighty and it can seem really heavy. But when you get a full body yes from from another human, from a community, from an animal, it's amazing. And you don't have that asterisk of feeling not great. You go, this is what travel should be because this is us communing together and and you know just being humans and sh- and truly sharing um and i think that is is what i get really excited about when i talk about consent-based tourism or ethics or anything when people have those stories of an animal went up to me and nuzzled and then ran away and i was like yes and for the rest of your life you will have that magical feeling not the I swam with a dolphin. It felt kind of weird. I don't tell people about it. You don't have shame when everyone is consenting. Mm, oh my gosh. I just feel like, <laughs> okay. So good. Again, like, and I'm loving how this is really not just applicable to tourism. It, it's such a, a broad reaching conversation, but this is, it's also so amazing to me that it can be in this space that we can be having these conversations as well. So Um, and I, as you mentioned, like this, I really want to, I know that a lot of what we've been talking about maybe can sound, um, weighted and, um, difficult or, you know, it's like not people like, well, I don't want to spend all my energy in that when I am thinking about traveling. But as you mentioned that, that yes experience and what that feels like, and again, like kind of going back to the experience of this person, um, cutting up the mango and and the and the way they wanted to show up in community and what they really wanted out of their experience. And then when they had that authentic, meaningful connection, how they get to feel after it is like, there's nothing on this planet like that. And when I started to create Lotus Sojourns, those were the experiences that I began to draw on those like full body. Yes. Those I cannot believe I just had such a powerful mutual exchange with someone as I traveled that I, I, it's, I can't stop thinking about it. Like that's, that's what I want my travelers to have. And I really feel like all of this like front loaded excavation is what creates those experiences. So I'm so grateful for brands like yours that are doing this for travelers. Like you said, they can show up and they're going to get this end result, it's been created for them. Like that's also what I'm trying to do. And we invite you into the process and the conversation and the understanding of how that becomes an experience that feels so much better. And if you don't want to do that, just know it's already happened and you just get like the benefit of all of the the stuff that we've already done. Um, So for you, like, what does that really, what does that mean to you? Like, what does it mean for you to offer that? I know that um, when you sent your information to me and one of the hashtags you use in your business is hashtag live your dreams. Um, I feel like we're both people that really get to do that. Like, obviously I, I hope people listening can tell that we are super passionate about this. This wasn't some random thing that we fell into. It's both pretty out there, like not very common career paths that people are like, I run an ethically minded volunteer animal travel program. Like I probably don't know anyone else that would answer that as what their career is. What does it mean for you to get to do that in your life? And how does that extend to your travelers? Yeah, I, 
you know, when when we were first thinking about hashtags and things like that, live your dreams seemed really flippant and sort of cheesy. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, truly, almost everyone on earth loves a animal. And when we're younger, you know, we have our little farm animals, and we dream of how big whales are, and we love horses. And it truly is a dream for people to no matter what your background, be able to touch, look at, be in service with these animals that we've always kind of thought were amazing. I think like a, a an unfortunate lie that a lot of people uh, are told and believe is the only people that can help animals are veterinarians. And so they they follow their dreams and their passions and they love their life. But there is always that sort of like, oh, but I just love toucans or I just, oh, God, dolphins are so neat. And so we get to have people live a dream that isn't just seeing these animals, but is like authentically benefiting them and having these experiences forever. You know, the little like baby inside of you gets to go like, I can't believe this is happening. And then the adult in you goes, it's happening and I'm doing it in like the best way. Um, and it really means like every time I write it, I, I, I truly think like I'm living my dream that I didn't realize existed I didn't know like I yeah like all through school what are you going to do when you grow up I don't know (laughs) something um I always loved animals and I think that it is so deeply cool to have been to all the placements and so I know all the families that they're going to meet and I know all of the animals uh most of the species because they should be gone by the time uh volunteers should be there but I know the species that they're going to interact with and just knowing that if it was just me living my life and every couple years I went on a trip I would I would help these animals but knowing that my impact is greater because I'm sending people on these trips and knowing that the impact is always ethical and I am always helping these families who had me in their house who talked to me for two years before I visited them um it, it truly feels like they're my family now and so you know it is It is a dream to think that I have been to all of these places around the world and I'm still connected to them and I'm still making sure that this benefit is happening. And in, you know, in in the 10 years that AEI has been around, we've been able to give a million dollars to these programs. And like that is just an unfathomable amount of money to me that I, as Nora, as an individual would never get to do, but because other people um, had these dreams once come to me. And so all our dreams get to interact together and means that like the boats are rising. Animals are being helped. These families who love animals as well are, are being benefited. It's um, yeah, it's it's dreams all around. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that just reminded me, um, one of my friends and mentors and, and the group that I partner with in Guatemala, um, Maria Pacheco, she says that collective dreams are unstoppable. And that's just really what that reminded me of, right? Mm. Like we, we can do this thing on a small scale as an individual, but when we bring all of our dreams together, that's really where the, the power lies. And I love that that is something that you're able to really bring to life through your business. 
Um, as people are listening, I'm hoping that they're really excited to be able to take such a unique experience. Um, Nora, where do they find you and what kind of experiences do you offer for them? I know you have solo travel and some group travel experiences, right? Yes. So our website is animalexperienceinternational.com. Uh, we chose the name because it's very easily Googleable. If you forget the name, you go, oh, I want to go international to experience animals, and we show up. Um, so you can go on there and then look through all of our experiences. Um, in um, We have about 20. It's everything from hands-on work with um, with wildlife rehabilitation centers. We have community citizen science that you work directly with the scientists in uh, places like Mongolia to work with horses in Croatia with dolphins. Uh, for our wildlife centers, it's places like Guatemala or Malawi in Southern Africa, Australia. Uh, and then we have domestic programs with dogs. I've now talked about bleeding dogs ears twice, so I'll do it three times at the charm. Um, but in places like Kenya and um, Nepal and Mexico. And so it really is like, um, you know, if, if you have an animal you're interested in or you have a country you're interested in and you just love animals, we like we try to have lots of pockets for you. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, it's it's not professional volunteers. It's people that are doing the the boots on the ground, hands and feet service to make sure that the professionals are, are doing the work. And um, mostly it is solo travel. So people will volunteer or will apply and then talk with me and then I'll guide them through the whole trip. And it's from airport pickup in the host country to drop off. So we make sure that you can, you know, just have me do your trip for you. The only thing you're focusing on is the animal stuff. I do everything else. And then we do have some group trips. And so um, in June, we're going to go to Guatemala. And then in November, we are going to Nepal. And every country we go to somewhere else that we've partnered with before. And um, and so I get to see my friends and family. And then also, um, yeah, show people around to these amazing places. Excellent. Thank you so much for walking us through all of that. Um, I really feel like this conversation is a gift to the people that listen to Soul of Travel. I really, really appreciate it. Um, before we end, I have a few uh, rapid fire questions just to give people a little bit more of a sense of who you are as a traveler and maybe find one more note of inspiration. Um, so the first question is, what is your favorite book or movie that offers you a travel escape or inspires you to adventure? Oh my goodness, a travel escape. Um, there is an amazing book called Undress Me in the Temple of Heaven. And it is about a woman who traveled to China when she was in college. And um, if you have been to China, you need to immediately read this book because it's like this woman was with you on the elation and amazing things and also the low lows that come with traveling. It's incredible. Thank you. Uh, what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? Um, always in my suitcase or backpack. I always have dangly earrings. They, I wear the same three shirts no matter how long I'm away. And so to sparkle it up, I have uh, jingle jangle earrings on. <laughs> Like we're sisters in the, the, yeah. the earring tribe. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your, um, what has been your most memorable or impactful destination that you've traveled to? It's like asking my most 
memorable child. Um, I would say, um, uh, I don't know. Um, I would say Nepal. It was like one of the first places I went totally on my own. And um, it it was just this massive dream from doing anthropology and, and doing some studying uh, in the Nepali region. Um, going there made me feel um, broken in many ways, but also invincible in many ways. <laughs> oh, that's like some super magic of travel there. That that brokenness and the, the healing is like the good stuff. <laughs> um, where do you so long to visit? Um... I, you know, I have never been to South America because we only go to places that, that contact us first and invite us. We've had, um, a Central America, um, every single continent except for, um, uh, Antarctica and South America. So it is, uh, kind of a cop out to say a whole continent because of course there's such diversity, but at this point, just like anywhere on that continent. So I can then fan out. <laughs> yeah. Well, excellent. Hopefully somebody listening will have like the perfect, uh, organization and group to community to connect with. Um, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place you've been? Oh, um, I kimchi they so I'm vegan and you'll know that because I started the conversation by talking about it um <laughs> uh there is a place here on Vancouver Island where I live that makes vegan kimchi and uh when I first went to Korea I wasn't vegan and so I had this amazing taste sensation and I hadn't I was chasing that taste for so long and then recently rediscovered it and I'm delighted to go back <laughs> Um, who is the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? Um, you know, I, I would say my mom, like what a cool woman. I was six months old when we went from Canada to, uh, West Germany and we, we, I had no, uh, voice in the matter. My parents decided they would live off base because they wanted us to have, a German experience, German school, German food. And like, how remarkable to have two small children and make that that choice. And she's always been um, she's always been someone that says like, okay, like, where where are we going to next? What are we doing? Um, and has made me um, not fearless, but think even like everyone has fears. So I might as well just just go and see how it goes. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. That's some real wisdom, I think. Um, and the last one is if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, alive or past, who would it be? Oh my goodness. I would. That is such a good question. Um Uh, what's coming up? I think I would love to just see the world through Mary Oliver's eyes. I would love to travel with her and just like sit and watch a grasshopper and have her just, you know, talk about the the majesty that is exactly in front of us and to be mindful to it. So yeah, Mary Oliver. Um, 
that's such a good travel tip too for uh, for people really wanting to connect. Um, that's an amazing perspective to have and to like really like dial in and get super present to something as simple as that. And then what that like actually opens up and brings into your experience. Um, well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your voice with us today. Oh, thank you much, like so much, Christine. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective. Or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul of Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Your story.